This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today. Ha-cha! Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 476, a pointless one-off episode that will never mean anything again, probably be in the quarter bin for the rest of the time, of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. My name is Matt Bob. Thanks for acknowledging our joint pleasure this time, mm-hmm. instead of just claiming it for yourself. Well, I've been alone, and now I've just given up. This is my life now. I am lonely. Look... And on the internet's Joe Patrick, each week we discuss Wednesday's new comics, comic book movies, TV news, and scour the woods of the internet to find the decaying carcasses of all the nerdy rumors. I've been listening to a lot of uh, real crime podcasts about serial killers, so it might come through in the script. Sorry, folks. As usual, we'll have some reviews of this week's comics. We're going to talk about our picks for next week, and then it's time for a visit from the comic pushers. Remember those guys? It's all coming up next, but before we get to all that crap, let's put on our Black Panther masks so no one can understand very well. Then we'll talk about this week's Nerdness! <laughs> Game of Thrones executive producers. Never heard David, of it. Yeah, it's a thing on HBO. I don't know. Well, that's a one, few people. That's one with all the porkin, right? It's a real niche program. <laughs> David Benoff, Benioff, and DB Weiss will create a new series of Star Wars films. Good, because we were almost out. Yeah. Separate from both the ongoing Skywalker saga of the core films and separate from Ryan Johnson's planned trilogy of original films. Meanwhile, Disney's upcoming proprietary streaming service has multiple Star Wars related TV projects in development. That's according to Disney CEO Bob Iger. Disney mentioned plans for at least one Star Wars series in its initial announcement of the app back in November. Iger says, we are not developing just one, but a few Star Wars series specifically for the Disney direct-to-consumer app. One, is, yada, yada, one yada. of which is the Ewok police procedural, right? Oh, I hope so. Yeah, it's not. there's no English, there's no subtitles. They just go around trying to figure out how Ewoks get murdered. And every time it turns out a stormtrooper shot them, but they can't figure it out. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> they're all cold cases. <laughs> Disney's streaming service is expected to launch in 2019. Now, Matt, we both love Star Wars, but I'm kind of starting to worry that we might be getting too much of a good thing. Okay. Are you? Well, it depends how this is rolled out. You know what I mean? We don't need a 24-hour Star Wars channel, certainly. I mean, right. With all original programming. <laughs> and, I, I mean, I don't know, honestly. This seems like a lot. It seems scary as hell. And I trust, like, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss. They're really smart guys, you know? I'm sure they can give us a really good show. I'm but- more afraid that if you do a bunch the majority of them aren't going to be very good. There might be one really good one and then three really shitty ones. And what good does that do us? And even if there is four really good ones, how the fuck am I supposed to watch four different good TV shows 
at this, you know, every week at the same I mean, I time. <laughs> I watched like eight really good comic book TV shows. So no, that's it, true. I, but they're also all different things, you know, that I'm saying. So now imagine like, okay, now I got to watch four fucking hours of Star Wars every so this, week. I mean, like I get that, wrestling, for example, there's two wrestling shows, Raw and SmackDown. It's way too much. It's way too much. Three hours of Raw, two hours of SmackDown. That's five hours of your life if you're a wrestling fan. And most of it is filler. That's what I'm afraid will happen here. So this, it kind of got me thinking. I wonder if the trick is looking at Star Wars as like a genre of its own. I suppose. I mean, like, you know, you're, you're, like there's as, a whole universe there, sure. But right. how like much as of a it do platform, we need before we get exhausted? Right. Absolutely exhausted. Or it starts sucking. But, I mean, if they're using the Star Wars universe as a platform for different types of stories, I can see how they'd pull it off. Like, so Ryan Johnson's thing is going to be a trilogy, which means it's one story. Right. That's not, that's not so much a big deal. No. Um, I, don't re- I don't think that they said whether or not the Game of Thrones guys were doing a single story trilogy or not. I think they just said more films. So who knows what we're getting from them. Yeah. The Star Wars, like, but, like... Give me a Star Wars, you know, kind of like a space western, like a Firefly type thing. Give me a Star Wars horror story. No, I get it. And they're, what they're doing is they're de- trying to develop it more like the Marvel Universe, where there's like all these. Th- it's a sci-fi universe where all these right. characters live here and do different things, and some interact and some do not. And for some reason, that doesn't bother us with Marvel and DC. But when we start talking about it with Star Wars, we get a little prickly about the idea. Well, I mean, because Star Wars is one property. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess that's why. Uh, uh, until until this point, I guess I should say. Yeah. Until this point, Star Wars has always been about the Rebellion's fight against the Empire, specifically focusing on the Skywalker family. Right. And now we're going to go more universal with it, which... It, they have to. They have to. Yeah. I, like, I, I, don't, I don't need to hear, like, I don't want to know the untold tale. Like, I, I mean, an Obi-Wan movie would be great. A young Obi-Wan movie. They, they were, there was rumors about that. We already got um, it, and it was great. Remember? Oh, so cool. <laughs> Qui-Gon Jinn and the Dexter Jexter and all that no, shit. No, no, no. But I mean, like, I don't necessarily need to know about what happened. To, like, don't don't give me a show about young Luke Skywalker growing up on Tatooine before he meets Ben Kenobi. I don't want it. No, we don't. And we don't need it. We we've, we've Branch out. Give me something totally different. It's the only way it's going to work. Yeah. Like next time on Boba Fett. Boba Fett, being Boba Fett, doing badass Boba Fett shit. Now, I I think the key, like what you said is right. We have to, what they are trying to do, what it appears they're trying to do is build a universe, not unlike the DCU or the Marvel U. I mean, that has worked. There's DC shows all over the place. There's Marvel shows and movies all over the place. So I suppose if they handle this well, there's no reason why this couldn't work. Like I just got, I just got caught up on Black Lightning, which is super good. I heard it's great. I haven't watched it yet. Um, and I don't know whether or not they are intending it to be set in the same universe as the other CW shows. I think it would be dumb if they weren't. But um, it's not in the same city, right? It's right. not in the same city as Arrow or as uh, The Flash. And they like made the most casual mention of the fact that there were other superpowered characters running around in the world. Right. Not even in that town. And like that's fine. Like. Give me a different story set in the same world. I don't necessarily need them to be intricately linked. Sure. Give me a, a, I'll tell you what I will take though. The adventures of 
Lando and me and Nub on the Millennium Falcon. Oh, totally. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Hit me. I am in. Uh, me and Nub, a Star Wars story. No, as <laughs> long as it's like, and again, as long as it's handled well and they do it right and it's not oversaturated and we don't feel overpowered, fine. But they got to be really, really careful. Don't screw it up, jerks. Yeah. Stop it now. Coming from our Hyperborean desk, Amazon Studios is developing an all-new live-action Conan the Barbarian television series. According to Deadline, the project is being developed from a trio, which includes Colony co-creator Ryan Condal, Game of Thrones director Miguel Sapochnik, and Fargo executive producer Warren Littlefield. Condal has created and written Amazon's Conan story, which is said to be a return to his literary origins. The character was created by Robert E. Howard in 1932 for a series of serial prose stories and was later adapted to comic books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know that. Last month, Marvel also announced it had reacquired Conan's comic book rights with plans for a full-scale comic book launch in 2019. I knew there was something. Marvel doesn't make decisions like this without serious cash yeah. behind it. It's certainly it was certainly not a surprise when this no, announcement about no. the TV show came out. And okay, um, I love this idea, and I like the idea of a Conan show a lot more than a Conan movie. The only Conan movie that ever worked for me was the first one, right? Conan the Destroyer was yeah. silly and fun, and I still watch it fondly, but it was not a good movie. Conan has such a rich history that you can do this. You can do a running TV series. The thing that's going to be the most difficult is casting Conan and not overwriting the character. He doesn't do a lot of talking. He does. Conan should barely talk, right? Yeah. He does a lot of like, you know, sword play and murder. He doesn't do a whole lot of talk. And so they're going to have to make him charismatic yet at the same time, quiet and badass. And that's going to be really tough. I have no idea who you get, who you cast just, him as. Just get Jason Momoa to come back. And no, Jason Momoa is terrible. He was a terrible Conan. He was a terrible Aquaman. He's terrible. He's very pretty. <laughs> I'll give him that. He's not an actor. Now, I don't want a white guy. I certainly don't. As yeah, much, I mean, he should be. As much as I love know. Arnold Schwarzenegger in that Conan role back in the day, he needs to be a dusky, dark-looking Middle Eastern dude. You know, they, he comes from the South. He's dark-skinned. He's well-tanned. And I have no idea who you get to play him. I, I don't even have a suggestion. I have no clue. I mean, clue. this needs to be like a like a for reals, gritty, yeah, hyper serious barbarian show. Well, and Amazon um, was even saying like, look, we are actively looking for the next Game of Thrones, and there's no reason why Conan couldn't be it. There's a huge amount of literature to draw from, and as yeah. long as they do it tastefully and they put good, you know, actors and directors and scriptwriters on it, it will be the best. I'm starting to worry about Dark Horse. Yes. Because they've lost Star Wars. They've lost Conan. Yeah. If the Disney Fox deal gets approved by the government, they will also probably lose Buffy, Angel, Aliens, and Predator. Quite possibly. I mean, now, then again, maybe they won't because maybe Marvel looks at this and they go, there's not enough money to worry about there. So... It's yours still. Because there's no, I don't think there's any Buffy relaunch coming down. I don't know if that's going to be an issue. I don't think that will be a problem right now until Disney decides we're going to relaunch Buffy on our Disney streaming service. And then it's well, gone. Right, exactly. Like, <laughs> then you bet it's gone. You can look for, you could look for Buffy and Angel to pop up on that Disney app. The next time there's an Aliens or a Predator movie, which you know there will be. Sure. I'm starting to worry about Dark Horse. 
Not that they don't put out a lot of great original stuff. They do. But their licensed, I think their licensed books are really what pays the bills in that joint. Yeah, it's definitely getting slim over there for them. I guess we'll see. I hope for the best because I really love that publisher and I, I do don't too. want them to I do suffer. Too. Enough about this depressing crap. This fall, DC Comics will launch a pair of new imprints tailor-made for Matt and myself. These are young reader imprints. The first is called DC Zoom, geared towards middle school readers. And the other one is DC Inc., which is meant for young adult readers. Like us. Yeah, like us. Yeah. Well, young adult reading level. Oh, I thought it meant like immature adults. Yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) We wanted to go back to what we used to have in comic books, story arcs for younger readers, says DC Vice President Bobby Chase in an interview with the New York Times. Chase will serve as executive editor for both lines. DC Inc. will launch with two graphic novels, a Harley Quinn story by She-Hulk writer Mariko Tamaki, uh, with bizarre art from Animal Man's Steve Puke. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing says young adults, young adult readers like artwork by Steve Puke. <laughs> let me tell you. Well, not and Harley Quinn and hot pants. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, the other one will be focused on Mira uh, by author Danielle Page. No artist is yet attached to that one, but they showed the cover and it looks pretty great. Both imprints are going to focus on bringing in established young adult authors. Uh, such as Lori Hulse Anderson, Melissa De La Cruz, uh, other people that Matt and I have never heard of. Yeah. But uh, additionally, new Superman writer Jean Luen Yang will author a graphic novel entitled Superman Smashes the Clan. Whoa. Which is presumably related to the real story of the Superman radio show Raising Awareness in opposition to the Ku Klux Klan in the 40s. That's a true story. Oh, great. Now they're bringing politics into my Superman comics. No <laughs> thanks. Uh, I can already hear this argument. You can hear it coming. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. The trolls are on fire for this. Oh, yeah. Uh, DC later released the, the full list of titles and authors. You can check that out if you're curious. We don't really know any of these people, so... Um, it's obviously not our demographic. No. But... The young adult and youth book market is gigantic. It is massive. And I think this is a great idea. And DC Superhero Girls is an enormous success. Yes. And I think that this is another huge move for DC. It's a great idea. And again, we're reporting on it not because we're excited and we want to read it, but because it's important to get kids reading comics. Kids don't read comics anymore. Adults yeah. read comics. Hey, look, and I'm, I'm, look, I'm not too, too cool to read a young adult comic. We read all ages comics all the time. I'm I'll read a way novel too about, cool to read a young adult comic. <laughs> I won't do it. I'll read a graphic novel about Mira. I'll read that Gene Luen Yang Superman book in a heartbeat. Here's my concern. Is Harley Quinn a good choice for this? I'm saying yeah, but, no. But no, she's not. Harley- there's so, Supergirl or Power or Power Girl. There's so many women that they could draw yes. from. Why fucking Harley Quinn? Why? You're focused on you're focused on one particular version of Harley Quinn. No, not lots of different versions. I'm talking of Harley Quinn. all the versions of Harley Quinn. All of them. There's a Harley Quinn in DC Superhero Girls, and it's very tame. Like it's it's gonna be fine. Harley Quinn is a very popular character. Ugh. They're gonna. I think you're absolutely right. We ha- they have to get kids reading comics. The medium grew up around us and if we don't get an influx of new readers 
like from a new generation of readers, comics is going to go away. Yeah, the medium will die. It's already, I mean, it's declined. It's doing better than it has for a little bit there, but it does decline every year. And it's because we don't have young readers. This is an excellent move by DC. And I hope it is rocking success. I just hate Harley Quinn. There you go. Yeah, well, you don't have to read that one, buddy. <laughs> it's okay. Nobody's going to force you. I'm going to I'm gonna force myself to read it. <laughs> their morals, their code. It's a bad joke. I'm dropped at the first sign of trouble. So there's your nerd news for this week. And of course, we want to hear from you on these stories and everything we missed. So hit us up on the Ziggurat direct line at 402-819-4894. Share your thoughts with us on these stories and more for our cover-to-cover call-in show. You can call us live every Saturday morning from 11.30 to 12.30 Central Standard Time. And you can watch the live action feed on our Facebook page. hey It's review time in the Ziggurat, where Joey and I sit down Indian style on our Super Friends sleeping bag and have an in-depth discussion of two of this week's new comics. Joey, what did you pick to review? Uh, It's Native American style. (laughs) Pardon me. Versus number one from Image Comics, written by Ivan Brandon, with art by Asad Ribic and Nick Klein. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. War has become a spectator sport. Privately funded armies of superstar soldiers march into battle for fame, profit, and the glory of their sponsor nations. When a new generation of soldiers arrive, top gladiator Sata Flynn is about to discover how fleeting the limelight can be. Space Gladiators was Ivan Brandon's elevator pitch to Assad Ribic when they came together to plan this series and versus number one, Delivers on that for sure. Oh, yeah. As the solicit says, Sada Flynn is the greatest warrior in a blood sport that dominates the culture of a futuristic alien world. Everything is on display for the masses and is incorporated with messages from corporate sponsors, including final kill shots and time spent getting patched up off the battlefield. For Sata, the war is everything And so this issue doesn't really offer much more in the realm of world building or character development. And I don't mean that as a negative necessarily, because we're viewing things through Sata's point of view, which is decidedly limited. We do get the sense that Sata is stubborn, but honorable. He plays by the rules of the game and the whims of his sponsors. But we don't really learn much more about this world or its inhabitants or about Sata's life outside the arena, if he even has one. Where I think the story will branch out is the final page cliffhanger and what happens next. Brandon's script helps give some context to the world and these events, but it's the art duo of Assad Ribic and Nick Klein that bring the world of verses to shining, greasy, bloody life. The issue opens with several pages of gorgeous establishing shots as we approach the planet and the slaughter happening on the surface. Outside the battlefield is a sprawling alien metropolis full of gleaming architecture and bizarre inhabitants that hang on Sata's every word and action. It's unbelievably gorgeous. And as good as Assad Ribic is on his own, the addition of Nick Klein doing the color art elevates the visuals to an absurd level. Yeah, this really was one of the most 
pretty comic books I've ever looked at. Yeah. It, the whole thing reminded me of like that 70s sci-fi art that you would see on the cover of like Omni Magazine and shit. Yes, like yes. 70s, 80s, I guess. Oh my God. It was just incredibly illustrated. Just like lush painted worlds. Yeah. And you, when you see those covers, you're like, I have to know what's going on. There. Yeah. You can give, go ahead and give this art duo like all the awards right now. Right. Because the issue one, boom, you did it. <laughs> you know? Now, while I did think the plot was a little slight in this first issue, I think the story is headed somewhere really interesting. And the artwork is just like we said, phenomenal. Yes. I'm definitely invested in seeing where versus goes from here. I'm giving it a buy it. I'm giving it a buy it as well. Um, I had, when I first read it, I thought, wow, that was absolutely gorgeous to look at, but I really am not certain what's going on. Like I've got a rough idea because like you said, the plot was very thin and I get it that the plot is coming from this character's point of view, but without spoiling anything, there is something on the last page that makes me wonder, Oh, <laughs> like, right. Am I going to learn anything else? You know, and the story takes a turn and, that's, and I'm very curious and that's it. fine. I need to see where it, goes from here and I plan on it because it is so gorgeous but it did come off almost as like first person video game shooter diary you know what I mean like stories not important yeah. kill 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 you know like but it's sort of like the NFL in the future and where we hang on athlete surgeries and like you know how they do on the field and what else is going on in their life and I get it I just need to see where it goes from here I'm definitely giving it a buy it but they need to give me more plot with the next couple of issues. Right. I need more. I need more story. Yeah. It can't just be a, and, a gorgeous picture book is all I'm saying. And yeah, I think what, what got me there is the, uh, is I have a feeling that this was done on purpose, you know, to, to show this character's limited right. experience of the world he's in. And it totally and, works in one issue. I don't want to read that for six issues. Right. And like, I want them to subvert it in the next issue. Yes. And give me more. All right, Matt. Another week, another X-Men book. That's exactly let's, how my review starts. <laughs> let's hear it. This week I reviewed X-Men oh, Red. It is exactly how it starts. I didn't even do that. <laughs> I reviewed X-Men Red, number one from Marvel. It's written by Tom Taylor with art by Mahmoud Asrar. It is 40 pages and it costs $4.99. Here's your solicit. Well, I already read the solicit last week and it involved a lot of screaming. You all know what's going on here. Gene is back and leading a new team. And my review starts just as Joe Patrick set it up. Another week, another X book with Marvel throwing all matter of mutant crap against the wall. It is easy to feel glib toward this whole line of X legacy titles. Those that haven't been canceled already, that is. So why should we care about red when X-Men's blue and gold have truly been mediocre? Sure. Gene is back. Adult Gene, not wacky Phoenix Gene, not teen Gene, just plain old, used to be Marvel girl, grew up, dated Scott, slept in a cocoon while Phoenix did bad stuff, and then dressed in blue and yellow with a weird headpiece Gene. Oh, Nightcrawler's here too, and he's actually acting like Nightcrawler again. But that's not the main reason you should care. Tom Taylor has been quietly writing the best Wolverine book I've read in years in the pages of all new Wolverine starring X-23, and now he's finally getting a shot at his own X title. This is not another predictable setup featuring yet another ridiculously well-equipped terrorist group or secret military unit from Wolvie's past with plans to kill all the mutants because, I don't know, they hate and fear them. Instead, 
Taylor gives us an ex-comic with a soul, Gene soul to be exact. Here we see Gene trying to solve mutant and human relation issues with her head and her heart rather than punching cyborgs. Artist Mahmoud Asrar draws Jean in civilian clothes for the majority of the issue, showing us how she uses her intelligence and her reason to combat racism, and it works. It totally works. There's still plenty of costumed mutie action, and as always, his panels are uncluttered but packed with action and emotion. There is some silly stuff here, like their <laughs> undersea base, Cerebro. Get it? I bet. Look. <laughs> <laughs> I love that joke, that stupid joke so much. Uh. <laughs> Cerebro. Uh, and oh X-23's little sister, Honey Badger, is on the team for some reason. But I really like what Taylor is setting up with X-Men Red. The idea felt both new and X-Men timeless simultaneously. And I'm excited to read more. It's been a long time since I've enjoyed any X relaunch. I'm giving this a buy it. So real quick, I have not been reading all new Wolverine. Uh, I've heard it's very, very good. And That's I, and very I'd like, good. I'd like to go back and, and catch up on it. But something that I discovered in this issue, which I find kind of hilarious, is that the smaller the Wolverine clone, the fewer claws they have. Yes, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> X twenty uh, Wolverine X23, Laura, has only two claws. On each hand, and Honey Badger only has one. Well, she also has foot claws. Don't forget those. Well, sure, yeah, of course, the foot claws is a whole thing. But, um, yeah, I thought that this book was great. Uh, it was very full of heart. Uh, it, there's a scene where uh, Jean is talking to Nightcrawler about her vision for the X-Men and for what to do in the, moving forward. And she, like, telepathically shares it with him. Uh, and he's like moved to join her like that scene sold me on the book. Yeah, it was beautiful. T Taylor gets these characters so well. And I mean, it's been 15 years since Jean Grey, since adult Jean Grey has been running around. Right. And um, I didn't realize how much I kind of missed her because well, it's almost not even her. It's m I think it's just more the spirit of what she's doing it, it, as opposed to just the constant X-Men smash or X-Men kill the Avengers that we've been getting. This right. feels like old X-Men. They're dealing with real right. X problems. You the X-Men like Jean on her own. And then with the X-Men, they are running around doing things that the X-Men should be doing. Like, yes. Like uh, she spends the first half of the issue, like just saving one person. That was that was being attacked by a mob. Yeah. And like, yeah, that's the X-Men. Like, it's cool when the X-Men fight uh, the Imperial Guard or whatever or the Brotherhood. Like, I get it. And that stuff is fun. But a more narrow scope to the X-Men that's about protecting people and yes. nurturing people. Yes. Saving that I think mutants. has been completely missing. Yeah. There, there's been like it, they've been so self-absorbed for so long that they've lost their mission. Right. It's been all about like, what about us? Who's going to protect us? We're yeah. dying. Things got so bad. Cyclops had to run off and be a terrorist for a while just to protect the mutants that were left. No, this was the X-Men being the X-Men. And it really clicked for me. And the art, like you said, is gorgeous. Yeah. 
this was really good. Even I'm the Namor thing. Even the Namor thing that we were both like, eh, they sold it really well. Yes. The reason why Namor is on the team is genius. Yeah. They sold it really well. Yeah. I I really liked this book. I really loved it. Uh, X-Men Red is a terrible title. It's all The color coding is very stupid. Yeah. It just needs to go. Can we please just call this book Uncanny X-Men and call it a day? Yeah. Uh, it's so good. It's so much better than the X books that we have right now. Huge vibes for me. I loved it. Those are our main reviews, but we want to hear from you, nerd. So we'll post them on TwitterNerd.com. You can respond in the review section of the THN forums or on the THN Facebook fan page or Twitter or wherever. Just yell sure. at us. Tell us how yes. dumb we are. Now that we're done with any substantive reviewing, it's time to practice our Panther King stunts as we leap from car to car on I-80 West while we review eight more comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed, go! Vengeance, Nevada, number one, Earth's Temporary Solution. What is that? I don't know, but it's kind of a creepy title for yeah. a <laughs> Writer BJ Mendelson reached out to us online, and I'm always happy to take a look at new work by up-and-coming indie creators. You want us to check out a book that you made? Email me. Give it to us for free. Well, I mean, yeah. The good news <laughs> is that I really enjoyed the art by Piotr Zaplarski. Wow. Yeah. He His, is... Sorry, oh, sorry, Piotr. <laughs> His detailed black-and-white style is punctuated by bursts of color, and it's used to great effect. I also thought that Mendelssohn's dialogue was very solid. Much of the issue is kind of narrated by a couple of characters talking back and forth over police radio. And he does a great job with the script. However, I could not follow the plot at all. There is so much going on here and almost none of it is explained. There are superhero battles. There are shapeshifters. There's bodily possession, I think. There might be zombies. Oh. I'm not sure about that. And it also seemed to bounce around in time as well. Oh, wow. I felt like I came in halfway through the third movie in a trilogy. Still, I can see the potential there. The art uh, is full of talent. The script is good, or the dialogue is good. And I think that Vengeance Nevada could turn out to be a really compelling story. It just needs a bit of editing. I'm giving it a skim it. And I recommend that you all head to Comixology and check out the preview for yourself. I'll link to it on the show. Okay. Green Lantern's number 40 from DC. It's been a while, so I decided to check in with this new storyline, Superhuman Trafficking, which sees small-time heroes that use a dating app vanishing. Barnaby Begenda is on pencils, and as much as I loved him on Omega Men, I didn't care much for his work as inked by Mick Gray. Some of it it's was definitely a little different. Yeah, some of it was almost off-putting. The story is fine, but you can see the romantic Green Lantern will they, won't they angle coming a mile away. I'm only giving this a skim it. It just seems kind of hokey to me. Who was the writer? Is it Sam Humphrey still? Uh, Tim Seeley and somebody else. Okay. Um, I, I did think that it was pretty neat how effortlessly they created a dozen shitty throwaway superheroes. Well, the Bulleteer was there though. She's, she's well, the Bulleteer, yeah, but like I love her. Uh, most of the most of the people in this book are like, we'll never see them yeah, again. The bearer they're, of they're bad news. <laughs> yeah, that's a great name. <laughs> Swamp Thing Winter Special from DC. This 80-page giant pays tribute to Swamp Thing creators Len Wein and Bernie Wrightson, both of whom passed away last year. The lead story by Tom King and Jason Fayabach features, no joke, 
the most predictable plot twist ever. <laughs> but it's beautifully drawn, and the journey to the finish was still compelling. Kelly Jones's art from Wine's last Swamp Thing story is presented here, too, without the scripted dialogue because Wine died before he could type out the script for the issue. I thought it was really cool that they did that, though. I, I did, too. Yeah. And they did they did present the plot outline uh, so that you could compare it to the art. Yeah. And it's great fun to see Jones interpreted Wine's ideas. There's a few nice tribute pages at the end, including, like, a three-stage pinup by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Yeah, very cool. And it's just a, a great package, a great send-off to some comic book legends. The Swamp Thing Winter Special gets a buy-in. Yeah, I loved it. Huge buy for me, too. That thing with the kid, though, like, I saw that coming from the show. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Twisted Romance, number one from Image. This is the first of a four-part weekly miniseries anthology that seems to be curated by Alex DeCampi. Each story focuses on, you guessed it, twisted love stories. The first one by DeCampi and artist Katie Skelly centers around a man that specializes in breaking hearts. And it was wonderful. Unfortunately, the rule seems to go with these anthologies. Some stories are good, but the rest are a throwaway. I loved the first story, but the rest of Twisted Romance was a slog. I'm giving it a skimmit. Song for the Dead! Number one from Vault Comics. <laughs> uh, hey, guess what? I'm cheating. Because you may recall that I reviewed this tale about a wandering bard necromancer who was first self-published through Necromancer Press. I'm happy to see this awesome indie comic picked up by a larger publisher. Yes, I've already read it, but I think that this is great work by co-writers Mike Heron and Andrea Fort and artist Sam Beck. It's definitely worth your attention now that it's a little bit easier to find. Okay. Go to your comic shop, ask for Songs from the Dead. It's a buy-in. It's really good. That counts. Incognito Renaissance, number one from Dark Horse. Intrepid reporter for Harlem's Black Newspaper, Zane Pinchback, returns. He's a <laughs> light. A great name. It's awesome. He's a light-skinned black man that goes incognito to uncover the mystery of a dead socialite this time. The story is a prequel to writer Matt Johnson's award-winning Vertigo graphic novel, and it's still great. After all these years, Johnson's dialogue and portrait of race relations in 1920s New York is perfectly written and delivers a solid mystery, too. The first Incognito graphic novel was a fantastic award-winning read, and I'd guess this new prequel is going to take home some accolades as well. I'm giving it a buy it. This is another uh, one of the burger books, right? I believe. I think it is. Yeah, I think you're yeah. right. In last, fact, week was, oh, last week was Hungry Ghost, not as successful. No. Not at all. Infinity Countdown, colon, Adam Warlock, number one from Marvel. I guess Adam Warlock made his grand reappearance somewhere else. I think maybe was, Guardians of the Galaxy? I think it was the Thanos book. Oh, maybe. But, uh, but that's, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's okay. Writer Jerry Duggan and artists Mike and Laura Allred take readers on a psychedelic, Kirby Crackle-fueled ride through Warlock's history, starting at the end of time and ending in ancient Egypt. It's full-blown, madcap, old-school, cosmic comic booking, and I loved it. Some might say this is just a recap book, and that might be true, but I thought it was a ton of fun to read. Infinity Countdown, Adam Warlock number one, gets a buy it from me. Okay. Armstrong and the Vault of Spirits, one shot from Valiant. Armstrong gets Faith. Archer, Ivar, and ugh, Punk Mambo together Punk Mambo. for a trip to his wine cellar featuring vintage bottles dating back to the time of Noah. 
who, it turns out, like to take credit for all kinds of shit. <laughs> this was a funny little jaunt through time with more snappy Armstrong dialogue from Fred Van Lenty and beautiful art from CAFU, who spells his name in all caps. So I'm starting to think maybe it stands for something. I don't know. It's another buy it for Valiant's one shots for me, though. This was just a good time. That is your ludicrous speed round, and is the sound of Swamp Thing doing what had to be done to a rampaging bear, as seen in the pages of the Swamp Thing Winter Special. He French kissed him to settle him down. Right on his bear mouth. (laughs) This onomatopoeia was submitted by Jimmy Randall via our Facebook fan or via our Facebook page. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, hit us up on any of our social media or shoot us an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Tip of the hat to Lord Fungus, who sent us one on Twitter, but it was already too late. Sorry, Fungus. Welcome to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where Matt and I escape to discuss the secrets of next week's comics and usually experiment with illicit drugs and black magic. Sure. This week, Matt has fired up the Siege Perilous replica that we built with plans we found on 4chan. So unfortunately... We usually only end up talking to racists and perverts. It's true. That 4chan is the fucking worst, man. <laughs> but while we have a stable signal here, Matt, why don't you tell the nerds about your must-read pick for next week? Next week, I'm excited for Cold War, number one from Aftershock. It's written by Christopher Sabella, art by Hayden Sherman. It's 32 pages. It is $3.99. Here is your solicit. Panacea Cryonics offered its customers life after death by keeping their heads frozen until the day technology could rebuild them, free of disease and death. However, as these everyday people from the past are revived, they're not handed the keys to a new life, but a gun, body armor, and an ultimatum. They must fight in a war against unknown opponents for unknown reasons to secure their place in a brave new world that doesn't want them around. (laughs) Have you read the preview for this? Yeah. There was a preview for it, and it shows a little bit of, like, People getting woken up yeah. and then getting shoved into this line and <laughs> handed a weapon and they're like, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it sounds really yeah, cool. It does sound cool. <laughs> I'm excited about it. Joe, what's your pick? Man, I have a lot of reading to do before next week because my pick is Invincible number 144. This is it. Image Comics, Robert Kirkman, Ryan Otley, and Corey Walker. You know the crew. It's 56 pages for $5.99. That's, that's a pretty good deal. Yeah. Here's a solicit. The end of all things. Conclusion. Final issue. <laughs> yeah, we get it. <laughs> yeah, right. God, Robert. Everything since issue one has been building to this. Nothing can prepare you. Are they going to murder him? Call your shot. Are they going to murder him? Um, nerd bet. Okay. Here's the thing. I'm not, I'm not comfortable making a nerd bet because I'm like a year and a half behind. There is nothing comfortable about making nerd bets. The thing is, they're bets. You're calling your shot. Nerd bet. I'm saying they kill him. I would not be surprised if he dies, but I'm going to say that he lives. Okay. There you go. Nerd bet on. We'll find so, out. Yeah. We'll find out uh, next week. My, my, I think attainable goal is to catch up on Invincible by next week so that I can review the final issue. Um, it's such a great series, and the only reason I get behind the only reason I get behind on anything that I love is because I'm doing too many damn other shitty comic books for your entertainment. That's right. <laughs> Sorry, it's not your fault, it's me. 
The THN Trade of the Week goes to DC Meets Looney Tunes, a trade paperback from DC, written by Tom King and Various. Art by Lee Weeks and Various. 248 pages for $19.99. My God. Might as well be free. They're giving it away. Here's your solicit. The team-ups you never thought you'd see are collected in a new title featuring the acclaimed Legion of Superheroes, Bugs Bunny, Special Number One, Lobo Roadrunner, Special Number One, Martian Manhunter, Marvin the Martian, Special Number One, <gasps> Batman Over Fun, Special Number One, Wonder Woman, Tasmanian Devil, Special Number One, Jonah X, Yosemite Sam, Special Number One. Order yours now, because th- th- that's all, folks. Wow. Porky pig, porky pig joke. This was the tie-in that nobody wanted or needed and turned out to be, for the most part, pretty kick-ass. I'm like, I did not I did not read all the one-shots, but the ones that I read there were, some stinkers were so in there. much better than they had any right to be. Oh, yeah. Uh, especially the Batman Elmer Fudd one-shot, which I believe... Was it both of our picks for best single issue of the year? Uh, it was yours. I don't believe it was mine, but it was definitely yours. Uh, it's such a good, it's such a good comic. Yeah, it was great. Uh, the Legion, the Legion of Superheroes Bugs Bunny special is also really great. Uh, the Marvin the Martian Martian Manhunter book is really great. Uh, yeah, like if you missed out on those books, this is your chance to see what everybody would not shut up about six months ago. Yeah. So there's our picks for next week. But of course, we need to know what you're reading. Hit us up. Tell us what we should be reading, what we're missing, and force a book on us every once in a while. Seriously, just pick one and say, hey, assholes, read this. And we will. And then we'll tell you you're dumb for liking it. That sounds like this. Yeah. Yeah. Normally, we would rap. We. I say we, but really, I mean me. I rap I with you. Rap. I'm your hype man. I do shit in the background. You know what? I do like that. That's hey, ho, hey. You're right, and I apologize for downplaying your contribution. Yeah, come on. Skirt, skirt. I do all that shit, you know. <laughs> Normally, we would rap to introduce the next segment, but thanks to American copyright law and Apple's iron-fisted rule over all things podcast. We'll just be dropping some sick trap beats to reintroduce those fine product slinging nerdy pimps, the Comic Pushers. This week, the Comic Pushers received a question from JD Gotta Catch 'Em All via Twitter. Bruce, you gotta insult him as a sick junkie or something. I mean, he's definitely a twitching chicken head. He's a dirty underpants wearing freak. JD Catch on the Twitter if you want to follow him, host of the Marvel Lake House, and coming soon. Tales from the Marvel Beach House. What? He got a beach yeah. house? What does this guy do for a living? Jesus. Oh. JD writes, question for the comic pushers. I've always been a Marvel zombie. Convince me to care about DC and give me something recent to start with. Well, that's super easy. That's super This easy. is a hard question for me because normally my go-to is old stuff. Right. I would say if you wanted to pick up something ridiculous and exciting that's going to be guiding the DCU as we seem to know it right now, pick up metal. Pick up Dark Knight's metal. Start right there and just jump right in. You you don't need any background. They spell everything out. It's totally nuts. Greg Capullo <laughs> is drawing it. Scott Snyder is writing it. It You literally don't need to know anything other than who Batman is. And okay. you'll get it. Look. 
I'm going to slightly adjust that statement by saying that even I, who I would say, going by Malcolm Gladwell standards, am an expert in DC lore. Right. <laughs> even I am having a hard time keeping up with Dark Knight's metal. See, I don't, I don't think there's that much to keep up with. It just is Not what it is. Not in a bad is. way. Yeah. I don't mean it in a bad way. I mean it's so crazy. Yes, it's There are nuts. so many bizarre ideas happening all at once, and it's definitely shaping – What's what's to come from DC? And so I think in that sense, that's a fair pick. Yeah. He's not just asking for recommendations. He's asking for us to convince him that DC is worth his time. Oh, right. And that's okay. That's partially what I was doing, saying it is this ridiculous romp featuring the Justice League doing ju- ridiculous Justice League stuff. This is the kind of story that you couldn't get at Marvel. I don't think you could tell a story like this with the Avengers. You know what I mean? I think you have to have a Superman-type character, a Batman, a Wonder Woman, these gods that are thrown into this insane universe <laughs> full of like, like, I'm, I'm, the biggest, I'm just, baddest, scariest bad guys you've ever seen, and they're all iterations of Batman. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so and cool. Because, because, because DC characters are, are iconic, Marvel, Marvel has great characters. This is not a debate about Marvel versus DC. No, not at all. Like, can you imagine, like, the alternative if this was, if this was, you know, Marvel Knights metal? Right. And it was like, it's eight different versions of evil Wolverine. <laughs> it would be Wolverine. I mean, come on. <laughs> right. And it's just like, well, hold on. Wolverine is already kind of scary. Yeah. Um, this is a Wolverine that's sort of like Namor. Right. <laughs> oh, I don't. Well, hold on. Yeah, it, it wouldn't work at all. Work. It wouldn't work. But it works here, and I think they're just really embraced the cosmic slam bang ridiculousness of the DCU that just doesn't exist in the Marvel U. The Marvel U is more real world. So if you're looking to step out of there and go high fantasy sci-fi lunacy and see. Uh, and just get a taste of something that you're not going to get at Marvel. This is a great place to do it. If I were to say, why should you read DC? Why, why do I love DC? And I think you will too. Marvel is, Marvel is great about characters that live and breathe in a world that feels like our own, right? Relatable stories, right. relatable characters. Right. That was Marvel's big selling point when they, when the Marvel universe, as we know it launched in 1961, and they've done a great job building it, you know, well, you know, they've, they've built it. <laughs> they haven't always done a great job, but there's lots to like at Marvel. The reason that I love DC is because DC characters are larger than life. It's not that I don't enjoy comics where I can relate to the main character like Spider-Man, but DC's comics are about gods walking the earth. Yes. That's not to say that there's not a lot of heart in them, but what sells me on DC, the reason I love DC so much, and what they're trying to come back to is the sense that the DC universe is a living, breathing world that has history. Yes. Where things have happened and progressed, and there are generations of characters. There's a sense of legacy. And that's not to say that there's not real history in the Marvel Universe. They just play – I would argue they play faster and looser with it in the Marvel Universe. Right. I mean the Marvel Universe is a continuity where certainly there have been things that have happened. But the Marvel Universe will never, I don't think, be a place where 
so-and-so retires and passes the mantle on to a successor. Right. I, like, and as cheesy as, as the idea of sidekicks are, I, I think that's what DC has, uh, has utilized in a great way. They've taken the idea of sidekicks and said, you know what? What happens when the sidekicks grow up? Right. And we get Dick Grayson becoming uh, Nightwing after becoming Robin. Right. And, and trying to escape the shadow of his mentor. And we get uh, characters like Tim Drake and Wally West. And it's, it's a lived-in world full of families of characters. And that's why I love DC so much. Right on. If, if I were to give you something modern to start with that kind of encapsulates all those things that I love about DC, I'm not going to say go back to the DC Rebirth one-shot and try to recapture and try to and try to love Wally West like I love Wally West because you don't have the context for it. But if you were going to, you're not pick smart up, enough to do that. That's not what I mean. That's not what I. We mean. all know what you mean, Joe. Don't worry. I'm saying that like something like that's going to take a lot of investment. Of course, and and that's not necessarily what you're asking for. If I were to pick a modern book from DC to hand to you and say this is. A lot of what I love about DC encapsulated in one book, it would be James Tinian's Detective Comics. Because not only does it have all the legacy elements, but it's got characters, a family of characters working together. Yeah. It's very well written. The art is beautiful. And um, it also features one of DC's most iconic characters, Batman. Yeah. It also just touches on every corner of the DCU as well. It hits a lot. It, it, it hits a lot of those bullet points for me. Um, there are certainly lots of other books to love. I love the current Superman titles. If you want a book about a, a super dad raising it, raising a kid with a wife, um, like I'm a sucker for that sort of thing. But I also have a history with those characters. I think you can enjoy detective comics without having the history with those characters like I do. Oh, sure. Definitely. I think that's the best thing about that what he did for that series was turn it into a team book. It like, And we, when we reviewed it, we reviewed it as the best X-Men comic book on the stand. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> DC's best team book. Yeah, no, hand, no, no doubt about it. Fantastic. So pick those up, JD. We want to know what you think. I know that you live six months in the past, but the good news is most of this stuff started more than six months ago. So you should be able to access it. But we want to hear from you. Read it. Did we sell you on anything? Do you feel it? Can you, can you have room in your heart for DC? We're not going to know unless you get it back to us on this one. And if you need reading suggestions from the comic pushers, hit us up. You can call us on cover to cover. You can send us a voicemail. You can hit us on Twitter, our Facebook fan page, anywhere, and tell us what you're into. Hey, I dig movie. I dig Star Wars. I dig wrestling. I dig video games. Whatever. Give us something to work with, and we will put a highly addictive comic book in your hot little hands. Man, Mabel is losing her shit. Yeah, she hates Geef. She hates that dude. For obvious reasons. Join the club. Excelsior! Oh. <laughs> that is it for DHN 476. Joey, we got to get the hell out of here. But before we do, I need you to reset the new question of the week. Happily, this week's question comes from Anthony, currently residing in Brooklyn. He asks, what hero or villain... From another medium, would you like to see permanently join a comic book universe? Donald Trump, as long as he goes away and stays there. That's not, no. Yeah. That does not work. And Wolverine cuts him in half. 
Well, there you go. You can do that. Or just cuts his wiener off, and he has to, and everybody sees it on TV, so we know he no longer has a wiener, and it was really small. <laughs> wow. So we're not talking about, like, Superman going to Marvel. We're no. talking about characters from outside of comic books joining a comic book universe. For example, would you like to see Tony Soprano and his crew become a thorn in the side of Daredevil? Do you want to see Robert Townsend's Meteor Man fly side by side with Superman? Jesus Christ, Meteor Man. <laughs> Should Hellboy battle Lord Voldemort? I remember there's a Movies. scene in Meteor Man that I loved when he was like first shows up in his costume and he's like, go ahead and fire all day. My costume is bulletproof. And this guy goes, shoot him in the face. And he runs <laughs> away. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. So we're drawing from movies, TV shows, books. Let your imagination run wild. I think love this it. is a great question. Would you love to see the master control program from Tron and Riverdale? I know I would. <laughs> and we want to thank everyone that comes back for another helping of our BS every week by supporting this show on PayPal and Patreon. Without you nerds, we can't afford the Make Your Own Vibranium kit I just picked up off eBay. I think there's a lot of radioactivity involved in this, so get ready for yeah. that. Yeah, are you feeling okay? <laughs> My hair is falling out like crazy, but I feel great. <laughs> Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Carl Camarillo Brillo Smith, who, as only the most true comic fans would, sacrificed his body to protect the short box of comics he was carrying... When he beefed it down the stairs earlier this week. <laughs> the comics are okay. Carl will be too. Word to you, hero. Uh, I'm just glad the comics are all right. I know. I mean, Carl, whatever, but Jesus. Uh, I also want to give a quick shout out to Jim and Robert at the Why So Serious show on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, they have been uh, they have been really great supporters of THN. Uh, constantly... Uh, talking us up, Jim uh, reach out, reaches out to us on a regular basis on Facebook. In their most recent installment, they gave us a nice shout out on their YouTube video. Nice. They're super sweet guys, and they have a really slick looking show. It's called Why So Serious. You they, can find it on YouTube. They do it shirtless oh. every week, and they are ripped. You got to check yeah. these guys out. They're chiseled. Uh, they did a like top ten comics you should you should read. It was full of great picks. I'm gonna link to it in the show notes. Thanks for the support, guys. Keep up the great work. Totally rad. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer just might beef you on the stairs. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. Well, I think that means something totally different in that context. <laughs> oh, I thought Camarillo got beefed on the stairs. I didn't realize. <laughs> like, maybe no, I no, misunderstood. No, no, he, be he beefed it. <laughs> oh, beefed it. I'm sorry. I totally misunderstood. <laughs>